The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. All right, would you open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3? You believe it or not, we are closing out our limitless series. It was the series that seemed it would never end. And yet here we are. We spent the last four weeks studying the dimensions of God's love in its breadth and length and height and depth. And every week we've been asking God to give us an experience, an encounter by his Holy Spirit of his love, that we would know his love personally, that we begin to stretch ourselves and grow in what that means for us, that we would really feel it, that it wouldn't be a thing that we just know about, but it would be something that we have experienced firsthand. And uh, that's something that I can preach about and talk about and explain, but only God can do. Amen. And so we continue to do that. We're going to wrap up the series this morning, and we're going to focus in on a phrase from verse 19. I mentioned early in the series that this prayer, it's kind of awkwardly constructed. It's a really bad run-on sentence. All the English teachers in the room know what I'm talking about. But it's building towards asking God to do something, to grant us something that's so far beyond our control or experience that only he could do it. And verse 19 is kind of where that lands. And so I want to read this one last time. Uh, as we close out this series, Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 to 21. Here's the prayer. For this reason, Paul, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Do you know you're part of his family this morning? You know that you are part of his family and all those other people out there, all part of the family all have one father. So we're bowing our knees that according to the riches of his glory, which is a phrase we've even yet to scratch, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit and in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend, to get your mind around with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Think about that for a second. God wants you to know something that surpasses knowledge. Too big to know, but I want you to know it. Too much to contain, but I want you to have it. And here's the verse, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let that sink in for a second. The outcome of this strengthening that happens on the inside of you in your spirit that involves your mind as you comprehend. It's a group project. We're all in this together. And we're seeking to encounter God in a way that we experience something that we can talk about because we've known it personally, the result of that prayer is that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now that should strike you as virtually impossible in every conceivable way. That's how you should feel. And that's how the apostle Paul knows you'll feel. And that's why he closes with this benediction slash doxology where he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work 
within us. Somebody say, he's at work. He's at work right now. He's at work. He was at work when you got here. He was at work for some of you to get you up out of bed and get you to church. He's at work, and it's that power at work within us. That's how he's able. So to him be the glory in the church. He did it, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God, we thank you for your word to us. God, we are among the generations who have received your word. For thousands of years now, your children made new through the good news of Jesus and restored by your Holy Spirit have treasured and meditated upon your words to us. And God, we thank you that this prayer is just as powerful and real for us in Port Orange, Florida in the 21st century as it was for its first recipients thousands of miles away and thousands of years ago. God, we thank you that while many things change, you remain the same. And God, we thank you that we get to be a church that's multi-generational. And God, I pray for the youngest among us to the oldest among us, that we would never grow weary of encountering you and being transformed by your presence. God, that we would continue to grow in our capacity to experience you and to enjoy every good thing that you want to give us and do in us and work through us. And so God, we ask for your help and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to do what is humanly impossible, but divinely purposed this morning. Would you do it? In Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen. 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 So this, this is Thanksgiving week. You guys ready for Thanksgiving? I love Thanksgiving. Because believe it or not, one of my favorite things to do is eat. <laughs> I have been gifted by God with the fastest metabolism you've ever seen in your life. I eat thousands upon thousands of calories a day. And everybody said, once you turn 30, it's going to slow down. It didn't. They said, wait, 40's coming. Well, here we are. I don't know if this is ever going to happen. But I just want you to know, I consider it a blessing and a privilege, and I plan to take full advantage <laughs> this Thursday. Thanksgiving's a funny, it's a funny holiday. Um, we're so used to it, because we're Americans, we do this every year, but we have, you know, we have an international audience at this point. There's some people who are watching in Zimbabwe and faraway lands like Canada. <laughs> and uh, they don't really understand why Americans, we just change our whole day. I mean, we eat every day. How many of you guys eat every day? Pretty much every day you eat something. But then we have this day where we're going to feast and we eat like no other day. I mean, we, at our household, we wake up, I start cooking dinner at 9 a.m. That's what happens. I got, a, I got a bird to cook and all these casseroles to assemble and all this stuff to chop. And so like, I'll have a couple cups of coffee and we'll chat a little bit and hang out. And then it's just, I start cooking dinner nine o'clock in the morning. And then we eat dinner at like two o'clock in the afternoon. Like, what are we doing? We skipped breakfast and lunch. Everybody's hangry. And we're waiting on this meal that we spread out, and it is the middle of the afternoon. And then we eat ourselves silly. I mean, we just pack all the food in till you can't even move. And then, I don't know, some of you are like really health conscious. You probably package up all those food items and put them in the refrigerator. We don't, because two hours later, we're all back in there making another plate. Come on, somebody be honest in church this morning. <laughs> We're like four o'clock, second dinner. We're like, what are we doing around here? At six o'clock, everyone's falling asleep to football. Oh, make it to bedtime. Somebody help me. 
It's the craziest day. What are we doing? But we do it every year. One of the things I love about Thanksgiving is that we get to experience this, this physical manifestation of incredible appetite and hunger followed by just the fullest feeling you can possibly imagine. We have the day off and our job is to eat. <laughs> right? You guys, you know what I'm talking about? We, we get this pile of food just piled up and you get another one and you eat that and you're like, I could not eat another thing. And then someone brings out pumpkin pie. You're like, well, one more thing. <laughs> Isn't it so funny? And so you roll over to the couch and you just sit still and then people are falling asleep. It's a, it's a whole experience, Thanksgiving. One of the things I love about it, um, and maybe you guys eat breakfast on Thanksgiving. I starve our children to make them wait. Uh, but uh, you get this like appetizer and you have all these smells going and it's creating this, I mean, your mouth is watering and you're, you're, just, you're looking forward to the food. And, and for me, it's the smell of roasting turkey because I never eat turkey. You ever go buy a 25 pound turkey in July? You're like, I think we're just going to have turkey for dinner. <laughs> no, you don't do that because you're a normal human. But we, we, we got this turkey. It's, I, I'm smelling turkey roasting in the little roaster we have. We cook it the same way every year, one time a year. And I'm thinking about dinner at 9.30 in the morning and I'm building up all this anticipation and we make food that we never eat, green bean casserole, and broccoli casserole and stuffing and sweet potato casserole, just trays upon trays of dense, buttery food. What are we doing? But we, then we have, we have this experience where you finally get to sit down and everybody's famished, you know? And then I joke with the kids. I'm like, okay, before we eat, 10 things you're all thankful for. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we have this big feast. And so you go from experiencing this awareness, acute awareness of your own hunger to being filled to the, the brim. You cannot even take another bite all in one day. Go America. <laughs> but I wonder how many of us live day to day and in a spiritual sense, we're completely unaware that we're starving, hungry. And in fact, we've lost connection with what that spiritual hunger even feels like. And we've given ourselves to living in such a way that we're filling ourselves up with cheap substitutes that don't satisfy us and ultimately just give us a spiritual bellyache. And maybe all sorts of things that are unwanted behaviors or outcomes. I wonder how many of us really know what it's like to be thanksgiving full spiritually. And I wonder how our worlds would change if we had this prayer in our mouths every day and began to experience God's answer to it that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. So I did this sermon for the youth group and I practiced on them and I had this object lesson. I'm not a prop guy, but I have some props this morning. So I'm gonna bring, or Bill's gonna bring my table up here. And I had this, this, this uh, picture of how all this works together. And um, it made sense for the middle schoolers. So. Basically, you're all just older middle schoolers anyway, so I got this one. So this is clinking around. And we're going to get to this. So let me pull some really important things out of here.
You guys didn't know we were doing a mouthwash tasting today, did you? It's like Sam's Club, got all kinds of stuff. Okay, we're ready. Are you guys ready? Okay, so what is this? It is a mason jar. Thank you for paying close attention. This is a mason jar. I was explaining to the kids, and all of us need to know this, is um, what does this mason jar tell us? Just the very nature of what it is. What does it tell us about itself? It's supposed to be filled with something. Thank you. Brilliant. It's supposed to be filled with something. And so this is you. You are a mason jar. I don't know if you knew this about yourself or not, but you are specifically designed by God to contain stuff. Did you know that? In fact, you were designed to dwell with God forever and belong to him and have a relationship with him in which he was filling you up all the time. This is what Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden when they walked with God daily in the cool of the day. They experienced the presence and power of God. They had a right relationship with God. All things were set up the way they should have been And the fruit of their life was as plentiful as the fruit growing in the trees of paradise itself. But sin entered through disbelief, distrust in the nature and character of God, and then disobedience that ultimately resulted in an expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden and separation between God and mankind. Now, it wasn't immediate and severe. It was slow. But if you read the Genesis account, we get to, by the time you get to Genesis chapter six, all knowledge of God has been lost. Every human being has gone their own way. And in everyone's search to be filled with something, they've created a chaotic, murderous, destructive, oppressive world that breaks God's heart so bad he decides he wants to flush the whole thing. And yet he'd made a promise in, in the curse to the serpent in Genesis chapter three and verse 15, he had made a promise that a seed of the woman would crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And he could see in the future a way to make a people for himself uh, through something that he would do. Now it was enigmatic and difficult to understand because of God's faithfulness to himself in his own word, he showed mercy and favor and kindness to one family, Noah, his wife, his sons, his sons' wives, and he delivered them through the waters of the flood and recommissioned them. They received the same commission that Adam and Eve did. And so this is how the story unfolds. And yet you get to Genesis chapter 11, everyone's deciding to build a tower to the heavens. They don't need God. They can do everything for themselves. And they're doing the exact opposite of what God had commissioned them to do, to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the whole earth. No, they made one city. And so God confuses their language to spread them out. And again and again and again throughout the Bible, you read the story of how broken humanity is seeking to fill themselves with power and pleasure and wealth and certainty and life at the expense of other people. And it makes our world the broken place that it is. And all it is, is every single person waking up every morning trying to fill themselves up. Now, You can do this in a million ways, but we live in this digital age and I first had this idea for middle school students and so I started thinking, what's the first thing middle school students do when they wake up? How do they start filling themselves up? They go like this. Before they wipe the sleepies out of their eyes, the phones come out. I was asking the kids what's their first app they go to. It wasn't Facebook. Maybe there's some boomers here. You flip open Facebook and start scrolling. I just want to see whose birthday it is. Before you know it, you're reading a news article and a post and an angry share. Your cup's filling up. Righteous indignation, anger at this stupid world. What's wrong with people? Maybe it's uh, Instagram. 
Maybe you can't handle words. I just want to see pictures. <laughs> I don't want to read anything right now. You see a picture. I didn't know their vacation was better than mine. They got a new car. That's not fair. God loves them more than me. I hate my life. <laughs> Instagram. Maybe you're old school and you actually want to message a real person. So you get your message, your app out, pick up your phone call. But if you're searching to be filled, then every word that comes out of the mouth, every text message that's sent, you're looking to fulfill some deep place in you that God made for not that. And what happens? Fill, 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 fill. Maybe you feel insecure about the way you look, and so you just put a bunch of filters on your face with a little Snapchat. <laughs> and then the advent of TikTok came along. And now it's just 15 seconds of who knows what from who knows where doing who knows what to your soul. And so you're full. What happens? And these are all the innocuous, I mean, kind of somewhat harmless things that you have access to on your own mobile device. What about the things you know you shouldn't be looking at? What do those things do to you? Ooh. The things you run after that are destructive and you wish you could stop, but you can't. And this is how many of us live our lives. We set out in the day, wherever it is, online or in person, you're seeking to be full because that's what you were made for. And what you fill yourself up with ultimately gives you this experience. And what happens when you walk through the difficult parts of life? What comes out? That nasty green stuff. And really, that's mostly what we get fixated on. We talk about sin or destructive behaviors or things you wish you could stop, trying to have less anger or more peace and stop saying those words, picking on people, being so controlling. All that is is just overspill. Do you realize that? All the, all the friction we have in our relationships, that's all it is. Now, the reality is, is you're sitting here in church, so good on you. You're trying to get full of something better. You know God's got something for you, something that's pure and clear and does something right for your soul. But the problem is sometimes you look to this and this is it. This is your, this is your chance to get filled with what God wants to give you. And that's this. I thought this spray bottle kind of looked clergy-ish to me. I don't know, did you guys see that? <laughs> and like, you come to church and you're like, I need a little Jesus. It's not working. And that's a really good sermon too, by the way. Like, this is a bad sermon. It's like very misty, you know? Did that make sense to you? No, didn't. Maybe like a limitless series on God's love for like weeks. It's like, I'm trying, I'm trying. But this is all I've got. Do you realize that? See, the reality is though, is that God made you to have a, a relationship with him that's personal, individual, constant, moment by moment, day by day, saturated in his word, just showered in his Holy Spirit, founded in the truth of the gospel, that Christ would dwell in your heart, move in, take up residency. And this is what God wants to do for you. Do you realize this? He wants to be that purging power that overflows your life and pushes out all those negative behaviors so that coming out of you is all clear and beautiful and wonderful. Now listen, I don't know if you're like that, but I know you want to be married to somebody like that. I know you want teenagers like that. Let's be honest. Don't you know it? Now here's the other thing. The Apostle Paul is praying that God would grant you strength that through his spirit, something would happen on the inside of you. And so I'm here to tell you even better news than this, and that is that God has the capacity to increase your experience of him. Not only can you purge out all that stuff that you go searching for because you were made to be filled, but God actually wants to increase your capacity for him and for joy itself. 
Jesus said in John chapter 15, these things I say to you, that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be full. Do you know that? This is what God wants to do for every single one of us. And the longer you live, the bigger your container can get. And the more of God's love and the more of God's power and the more of the fruit of the Holy Spirit can get into your life and, and alter your experience of life itself and then spill over and pour over into all the little people that God has put in your life. Don't you want to be the kind of parent and grandparent that has this to give away? Isn't that who you want to be? And this is what God wants to do for you. But you know that every day you wake up empty? It doesn't matter how big your jar is. It, you wake up empty. And it's the things that we run to that get us filled up. And it's what we fill ourselves up with that ends up being the spillover effect into the lives that we live. Now listen, God's been communicating this reality since the dawn of time. And in fact, all of the Old Testament scriptures set up the reality that we are made for God, but we're without God, and that because of our emptiness, we seek to be filled in all these other places. So Jeremiah chapter two. Jeremiah is an Old Testament prophet. Maybe you've got bogged down reading Jeremiah. Maybe you didn't try to read Jeremiah. But Jeremiah is a terrible message in a terrible book in a terrible time for people who had done terrible things. So it's not exactly your uh, pep in your step Monday morning devotional. The reality is, is that when Jeremiah was called to prophesy, he was called to prophesy to people who were experiencing judgment from God in the Babylonian captivity. They, the Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple and carried off all the prominent people and killed tons of people and it just wreaked havoc on the people of Israel. And then they took these prominent people and made them slaves back in Babylon. And so you're away from your nation, you're away from your family, you're away from the temple. There is no more, there is no more religious experience for you. Everything's in the past, everything's lost. And then God comes along through the words of a prophet to say, here's why this happened and it's not going anywhere, so get comfortable. That's not exactly the good news that you wanna hear. And so that's the story of Jeremiah. But if you open Jeremiah after God calls Jeremiah to be his prophet and tells him, oh, by the way, no one's going to listen to you. Write this down. No one's going to care. That seems a little futile, doesn't it? But the indictment comes across in chapter two and verse 13. And this is written like a headline in the, the cosmic journal. In the universe gazette, here's God's headline to the people of Israel. In fact, it's for the entire universe to see through Jeremiah. He says, be appalled, O heavens. Be shocked, one translation says. Be utterly dismayed. My people, my people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they have hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It can be hard for us to understand not being in an ancient Near Eastern agrarian society, but there is no irrigation and your wealth and provision and food on your table and your ability to provide for your family and create wealth and longevity is totally 100% dependent upon rain. Do you realize that? And whether it's physical rain or spiritual life, God has referred to himself as a fountain of living water. 
This is who I want to be for you, the source of everything you need. I am the one who gives you the things you have. You did not make them on your own. They do not come from you. They come from me. You are a recipient of my blessings, both external and internal. This is who God says he is to his people, and his people are the ones who are by faith to receive and trust him and obey him, no matter what the outside circumstances look like. But that's not in the human nature because we're all waking up empty. And we're like, where are you, God? And listen, God is not stingy, but God is slow. Do you know it? And God will give you plenty of days when the answer is, wait for it. Wait for it. This is going to be me on Thanksgiving morning, by the way. I'll be making food and the kids are going to come in. They go, can I have one of those? I'll be like, Wata! smell the turkey, sit down. You're waiting until this food is ready. And by the time we get around the, the table, they're all chomping, they're ready. I'm like, you know, this is how, this is how it's going to roll. And sometimes it's got to be the same way. He wants to create for you an appetite. He wants to walk you through endurance. He wants to take you to a place where you're dependent, utterly sometimes dependent upon him and his intervention so that in the, the, the story in your mouth is, it was impossible, but God did it. And here's, this is just a test of our faith. It's the way life works. But for the Israelites, because they were disconnected from God, they did not have him as a source. They were filling their lives up with everything else. They were willing to go to the Baals and to the Asherahs and to any false god that promised rain at the, at the sacrifice, sometimes of even their own children. And they did horrendous and horrific things and they worshiped and set up high places. And so that evoked the anger and jealousy of God and he brought down judgment upon them in the form of the Babylonian attack and siege on Jerusalem. And so he tells them, this is what's happened. Now we do the same thing. Our cisterns look different. This is where the analogy kind of breaks down. These aren't cisterns. This is you. This is you. This is your brain. You guys remember those commercials? The cisterns is an expression of you trying to do you without God. You go, I need water. So I'm going to dig a hole. And when there's some water, I'm going to save it up for myself. And I don't know what your cisterns are. I have no idea. Your cisterns could be relational. You could be passive aggressive, manipulative, abusive, threatening. We're going to do things my way. Everyone knows we do things my way. And if not, the claws of control come out. Your cisterns could be fiscal. They could be financial. You could have windfall after windfall after windfall, but you don't see God as the source. It's all in your control. And so you just store it away and save it away and not generous and you're not kind and you're not, you don't have meaningful, but you're always just worried about the future and you got to have enough for the next time and the next year. And what if, and what if, and what if, and you just hold it all and you create a cistern characterized by, by greed and anxiety and fear and not by generosity and love and good stewardship. Your, your cisterns could be physiological, psychological. You could develop a dependence on a substance. Life's too hard and so you just run to something that numbs it. it could be something innocuous like CrossFit. It could be something terrible like cocaine. I don't know what it is but you dig a hole and you say, as long as I have this, I'm going to be fine. But the reality is, and if you live long enough, you know that every one of those cisterns has got a big crack in the bottom and they can hold no water. So you will find yourself again and again and again at your wit's end because the thing that you thought you had control over, where you put the resources, where you took control of your life, where God was no longer necessary is now empty and broken. And this is where the Israelites were at. Now, Jeremiah is actually a really good letter. It just takes a really long time to get there because in chapter two, the headline reads, be appalled that my people have committed these two great evils, but every person's committed these two great evils. All of us are born with a disposition to make these two mistakes, and we all do. 
But the good news is not that I can tell you how to undo it for yourself. The good news is that God made a promise to do it for you. Jeremiah chapter 31, behold, the days are coming. So he had just said, gonna be years. Some of you are gonna die in this exile, but the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke though I was their husband, declares the Lord. You cheated on me. You committed adultery against me. I made a promise and delivered you, and then you turned your back on me. That was the covenant, you broke it. No, this is what's gonna happen, verse 33. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, I will be their God and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. Should know him like I know him and your life would be better. For they shall all know me. From the middle school student to the great, great grandpa, from the least to the greatest. Why? For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Do you know that because of Jesus and the work that he did as the perfect Israelite, as the savior king, through his death and resurrection, through his atoning sacrifice, every single day, no matter how bad you fill up your cup searching after ugly things, and my goodness, that is ugly. Some of y'all are living some swamp thing spirituality. Let me tell you, The reality is that God in his love can purge that right out every single day. There's nothing he can't overtake. There is no darkness in you that he cannot push right out and purge right out. He will empty you of every terrible thing. He will get rid of it all, every bit of it, every bit of it down the toilet. This is what repentance and confession looks like. Do you realize that? It's when you say, I've got stuff in me that I don't want in me and I gotta make room for God to do what only he can do. And so this is what God's inviting you into. Now, here's the really cool part. That's just a transaction. That's just something that God did for you. But he wants to put us back together, not just so he can fill us up every day, which is a beautiful picture, but God wants to do something in us. This is one of the things I ask the kids. He wants to do more than just add a little sermon to your week, a little Facebook post, you know, scrolled past that for 15 seconds, did my Devo, got some Jesus. Listen, he said that through Jesus' death and resurrection, he would purify our hearts so that he would pour his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. You know that God wants to do a transformative work of love in you, the same love that Paul's praying that you would experience. He wants to do on the inside of you. Jesus said in John 4 to the woman at the well, he said, I'm gonna give you living water that you'll never thirst again. She said, I want some of that water. Give me that water. He said, I'm gonna do something in you that's gonna cause springs of living water to well up from the inside and overflow your life. Ask the kids, how do we illustrate that? You know what they said? (laughs) Alka-Seltzer. The Holy Spirit is just like Alka-Seltzer. And plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief he is. Look at this. Listen, this is what your life's supposed to be looking like. Pure, beautiful water, effervescent, overflowing, being a blessing to everyone all around you. And God wants to do this for you. 
And then he wants to continue to expand your capacity, strengthen them, Lord, he prays, so that you can have the power, the capacity to be filled with all the fullness of God. And there's no limit. There's no mega-sized jar. You can supersize this thing to the nth degree. And you get to be the beneficiary of the work that God wants to do as you walk with him day after day after day after day. There is no limit to the joy you can encounter, to the peace you can walk in, to the trust that you can have, to the love that can be flowing. Some of us are having the hardest time just loving our spouse and our neighbors. We're like, I mean, you ever feel this? Some days I'm just like, fruit of the spirit, self-control. It's all I got. Keep your mouth shut. Don't say it. Anybody else feel this way? I would love to be moving past self-control. I would love to be effervescent with love. I would love to be just characterized by peace. It's going to be fine. God's going to work it out. I'll be right there with you until it matters to you, right? But this is the work that God wants to do. Now, as much as it's good news that you can increase your capacity, it's also possible to decrease your capacity. You can be turned into stuff that's making you shrivel up and die spiritually. Do you know that? I mean, it can get smaller and smaller and smaller. You can numb yourself spiritually to death to where you are impossible. It's impossible for you to even be aware of your spiritual hunger. And there's too many people who exist in the world whose spiritual hunger drove them crazy and because they couldn't find a source that would fill them, their, their jars got smaller and smaller and smaller. And ultimately, they're living a life completely devoid of the spiritual life that God made them for. And those are the people that need this good news the most. Those are the people that need to experience something totally different. And you know what God's plan is for them to experience? It's through your life. It's through your words, it's through your kindness, it's through your generosity, it's through your forgiveness, it's through your encouragement. And he wants to bring people into a journey where they truly know him and he's able to ex expand their capacity for his nearness and for his love. And that's what the church is meant to be a part of. Do you know that? There's a whole world full of substitutes out there that you can turn on, tune in, drink deep, but there's only one source of living water, and his name is Jesus. And so I wonder if it's time for us to start to cultivate that spiritual hunger. You see, we want God to answer this prayer. We want to be full to, to filled, but, but I wonder if the first step isn't actually learning to get into tune with what spiritual hunger feels like. Because it may be something that drives you to a bottle or to a website, or to a manipulative behavior, or to a controlling behavior, or to work overtime, and you don't recognize that the thing you're after is not that thing itself. You're being driven by a deep emptiness that only God can fill. And so I don't know what your circumstances is, but I want you to stop being preoccupied with the destructive behaviors. Take, a, take, a, take those off the shelf for a second and just recognize and acknowledge the fact that you were made for something so much bigger and so much prof more profound than the little destructive appetites that you have. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it in Mere Christianity. He, he wrote, this is on the overhead. He wrote, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward from God and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are 
half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. What if we didn't ruin our appetites? What if we put our phones down? What if we shut our mouth, went back into our room and opened the scriptures and pleaded with God that we would experience him in a life-altering way every single day? I love the way the psalmist in Psalm 63 expresses this longing and this hunger. And listen, uh, you're not gonna be satisfied for what God wants to do for you and in you until you've cultivated a hunger for it. Do you realize this? Do you realize this? You're like these little kids coming into my kitchen trying to grab a pinch of green beans. No, wait for it to be delicious casserole. God wants to bring you to a place where you're spiritually hangry but you know it's for him. This is what I see in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. You ever felt soul thirsty? Have you? There's no amount of scrolling that will satisfy soul thirst. Only he will. My flesh faints for you. And, and we do. You ever burn yourself out trying to make everybody happen, make everything work out? Get all that paycheck, the hours, the overtime, the, the late talks, the early mornings, walking the dog, cleaning the cat box. Ah! You're a joy to be around. Your flesh literally is fainting. You just can't wait to sit. Why? As in a dry and weary land where there is no water, I'm parched, God, for you. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. I, I know that God, God's the only one that can do for me what will really satisfy me. Here's, here's the answer. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Do you know, most of us are just trying to live a good life. And God says, you know, I got something better than life itself. And it's something that you can have right now. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Listen to verse five. My soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. You ever think you'd have a quiet time that tasted like a ribeye? You ever think you'd wake up on a Tuesday and you're like, oh, that buttery flavor in my mouth. That's what the psalmist says. Have you had that experience? Do you know that satisfaction? Do you know that taste? Listen, we all make time to eat, don't we? Some of us will skip a meal or two. That's true. We'll work right through lunch, but oh boy, buckle up at dinner time. And this is what God's inviting us to spiritually. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed. I love this too, because some of you guys are gonna think right now, I'm gonna start this tomorrow morning. I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna have some time with the Lord and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell him how much I'm longing for him. And I'm here to say, no, you're not. You're gonna wake up and you're gonna forget everything I just said to you because this is what I'm saying to you right now. And you're gonna go about your day and you're gonna have a terrible, terrible day tomorrow. And then you're gonna be laying in bed and you're gonna go, oh my goodness, 
And the psalmist says, that's okay. Because as soon as you become aware is the moment God wants to interact with you. And so if it's early in the morning, better. If it's in the middle of rush hour, fine. If it's right before you close your eyes to sleep, so be it. I will meditate on you in the watches of the night. How many of you guys are so stressed out you can't sleep? You wake up at 3 a.m., bing! Oh, I'm worried about nine things. <laughs> Any of you? Right there. You're like, Christmas is coming. How are we gonna pay for that? Still paying for last Christmas. <laughs> Just instantly stressed right here. He says, I'll meditate on you in the watches of the night. Why? For you have been my help. Uh, Romans chapter eight, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but gave, us, gave him up for us all. How will he not graciously along with him give us all things? He's been my help. And in the shadows of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. That's the feeling you need in the middle of the night, isn't it? And so this is what God is calling us into. And so I'm hoping to help you mostly learn to recognize what spiritual hunger looks like for you. I don't know. I have no idea what it looks like, but I do know that all of us wake up empty and all of us move to something to be filled. And that, and therein lies our spiritual hunger. And I'm telling you that you can sit there and try to patch up all the overspill from your life. I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. And all you're doing is trying to make your jar a little taller so stuff doesn't slosh out. But I'm telling you that if you learn to tune into your spiritual hunger and you turn to start to cling to God and, and, and beg of him and ask of him and avail yourself of him, he is going to meet you in such a way that is gonna change everything. Because he's not stingy and he's not unwilling. He is ever ready and he is the unending source of love that he wants to pour into your life. And you need that. You need every single day to be able to walk in, walk in his love for you personally. You gotta have it. I mean, the version of you without him is not a good version. And so can we do this together? Um, these are back on the table. You guys ever see these little thing? Our daily bread? Listen, I don't know. I'm a big fat Bible reader. I, I read big fat Bibles and books upon books and I love studying. And that's partly just because that's the way God wired me and partly because that's what I get to do vocationally. Maybe some of you aren't Bible readers. Maybe you open up to Jeremiah and you're like, I don't understand all this bad news. I just read 24 chapters of bad news. What is going on here? Where are we? Why is this happening? This is great. And guys, especially, listen, take this home and put it on the back of the throne, okay? Just set it right back there. And when you go in there, don't bring your phone in there. That's gross, okay? Don't bring your phone in there. I saw uh, in the Home Depot of all places, in all their little gift aisle, they had a toilet paper stand that held like three rolls of toilet paper and had a toilet paper dispenser and a cell phone shelf. And I thought to myself, that is disgusting. And also I want one. That's what I thought. That was pretty cool. But look, if you can get just one page, one day's reading, and, and, and these are sifted through, so the things make sense, and there's a little reading, and it's very short, but this will give you something to meditate on, to think about, and to invite God into your thoughts. Watch your spiritual hungers be satisfied. Watch your destructive behaviors taper off. Watch, watch your need to scroll and find likes and respond to every message start to dissipate because you were made for so much more than the experience that you're walking in. And so these are all little tools. Take them as you will. But what you need is, is a, a miracle-working God 
who will blow every expectation if you let him and if you ask him. Amen? All right, I need um, two skilled individuals to move these props, and I need the worship team to come up. They're going to lead us in a song um, that expresses to God that we are available. That's all you really have to do. All you have to do to say, uh, I'm willing, and he does the rest. And so I'm going to move the bucket of water, and I'm not going to say anything until these guys move this table because there's 12 people in here who are super stressed out. It's going to fall. It's going to fall. All the risk management people right now are like, I can't watch that. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. Here's John 15, 9 to 11. I'm going to close with this. Jesus said to his disciples on the edge of his death, the night of his death, he said, I am the vine. I'm the source of life for you. And you are the branches. So you're the one supposed to be bearing fruit. So I'm the life source. You're the fruit bearers. This is how this relationship works. That fruit is the good things that grow out of your life, that they start on the inside of you and they express on the outside of you. They are the things that are a blessing to other people. They make wonderful things like grape jelly and Cabernet Sauvignon. This is the fruit. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him is he who bears much fruit. And so the invitation is to move in with God, to cohabitate, to take up the same space, to have an ongoing, never ending conversation because he's in you and you're in him. And as he directs you and you obey him, you're abiding in his love because you're obeying his commands. And so verse nine, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love, remain, stay put right there. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Where God tells you to live is right where he wants you to be. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy would be in you. Anybody ready for a big deposit? Wouldn't you like a big deposit that's more powerful than a stimulus check you didn't ask for? His joy would be in you. Where did that joy come from? That's not joy that's related to my experience. That's not happiness from the things that I love. That is a different kind of joy. That my joy would be in you and not itty bitty joy, not a little tiny joy that your joy would be full. And so God, we invite you to do what you've promised all along. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would convict and convince each of us of how we misappropriate soul hunger. God, I pray that we would learn to do what we teach the middle schoolers every week, to draw near, to drink deep, and to live full. God, we will never, we'll never walk in the purpose and plans that you have for us until we're living full, until we're overflowing with the goodness of what you pour into us. We'll never be the kind of people that we wanna be and that you made us to be. We'll never have the kind of impact on our world until we are full and overflowing. And so God, we invite you in this moment as we draw near to drink deep, to fill us up. God, it's outside of us. It's not something we can muster. It's not something we can fake. We need you to do it. And so God, we express to you that we are open, willing, desiring, yearning, longing, available. 
And so would you do for us in this moment and in the hours and days and weeks and months and years to come, what only you can do. Fill us to overflowing. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Let's stand.